0: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 14, Uh, we'll pick up uh, where we left off. So uh, last week's episode described Israel suffering the repercussions of Jonathan attacking a Philistine outpost, which brought out an enormous Philistine army in response. Uh, Saul called the people to assemble at Gilgal, but instead of responding to his call, they went to dramatic lengths, um, fleeing him, uh, hiding in all sorts of um, places and even crossing the River Jordan. Even Saul's 3,000 man standing army was starting to melt away. And the prophet Samuel was late uh, at the appointed time to offer sacrifices. So Saul took it upon himself to offer sacrifices of the burnt offering and peace offering. And in the middle of making these offerings, Samuel arrived and condemned Saul's foolishness for disobeying the instructions of God. Uh, This week, chapter 14, starts with Jonathan once again, uh, and once again taking initiative in action against the Philistines which leads to a dramatic victory by God but there's still this sort of Paul being cast over these actions uh, by um, further actions by Saul. So um, this is a long chapter so what I think I'll do is um, split it in two so I'll read the first half um, up to verse 23 and then we'll uh, deal with that part and then we'll deal with the second half. 1 Samuel chapter 14, starting in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were there with him were about 600 men including Ahajah, the son of Iatab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozeth. And the name of the other was Sinah. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to I- Aijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into battle. Behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was great, very great confusion. Now the Hebrews had, who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle pressed, passed, beyond Beth-Avon. Let's pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, as this passage reminds us, the battle belongs to you. And that you uh, can bring about victory, whether it be by the hands of a few or by the hands of many. Lord God, as we look into Your Word this day, we ask that You would instruct us, that You would speak to our very hearts, that You would give us uh, the strength of faith to boldly step out in Your name and to act uh, as You have commanded us to act in this world around us, that we would be bearers of truth and that we would bear that truth to the world around us. Even the truth of the soul salvation for mankind coming through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So last week we had a a brief introduction to Jonathan. Um, We're given a little more detail about Jonathan today. And what do you make of the character of Saul's son, Jonathan? What do you think of Saul's son here? What makes you say he's a man of faith? Mike? Yeah, we have that great statement um, that I want us to spend some time on in a little bit. Um, in verse 6, come, let us go over to the garrison of the, these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Um, and then his armor bearer uh, you know, supports him in this. So um, he, he certainly seems to be acting uh, out of a position of faith. Yeah, notice it, it, you know, it emphasizes he did not tell his father. Um, nobody, you know, it says later on, no one, the people did not know Jonathan had gone. Um, when this tumult breaks out in the Philistine camp, they're, you know, who's missing? Take the roll call. Jonathan's not there. So he, he's taking it uh, the initiative on himself. Uh, uh, he's acting independently here of his father. And we'll see that um, later on in this chapter as well. Okay. So, man of faith, man who, man of action, taking independent action. What else would you say about Jonathan from these, uh, from this passage? Tim. So, he's brave and a good fighter. Um, yeah. It's um, and the bravery isn't just the military action, but we get a little sense of it. Um, with this having to cross over, you know, go down one rocky crag and up the other. And it's, uh, you know, I, this is one of those places I wish um, we were given the, what these Hebrew names mean. So Bozes, Bozes means slippery. And um, Sina means thorny. So he's going down one rocky crag that's called uh, slippery. <laughs> oh, that's good. And then up another one that's called thorny. So, you know... Um, it, the action he's taking isn't an easy. He's not following an easy path. That's for sure.
1: Bill. I think it's interesting you don't give us
0: uh, any uh, of his prayers
1: to the Lord for support during this action. No, we're. Not his armor bearer to him.
0: Yeah, we get the sense. He he says to his armor bearer, and and his armor bearer is really his reply is really striking. Um, Do as you wish, uh, or do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Um, And just the word heart popping up there, uh, the last time we had seen the word heart in Samuel was in 13. In in Samuel's rejection of Saul, Uh, he said, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. So our previous reference, just in the prior chapter, we have this reference of a man after God's own heart, and here we have, in one verse, the word heart being twice repeated. So is Jonathan a man after God's own heart? And if we're just sort of...
1: That statement from the Lord
0: Yeah, uh, and even if it's, I mean, again, it's his armor bearer saying it, but, I mean, just the juxtaposition. You know, in 13, we have a man after God's own heart. God's going to raise up for his people. And here we have a man whose heart um, is being attested to by the person closest to him, his armor bearer. that their, um, their, uh, their whole being is with them. I mean, to think of that heart in that full sense, that you know, God's looking for someone who will obey, uh, who will follow God with their whole being. And, and here we have um, this armor bear saying, I trust your being, <laughs> your heart, um, and I will follow you with my entire being. Um, but it's a really striking that these, I mean, uh, um, you know, it's one of those questions I ask that I'm not sure has an answer. But I, I think it's interesting that the biblical writer has put these two things here. Um, and, you know, if we didn't know the, the rest of the story in the Paul Harvey sense and know that there's this guy, David, um, coming who's a man after God's own heart, you know, our ears would prick up and, you know, we'd be, you know, is this the man? Uh, so just to sort of think of the story as it unfolds. And to, to see someone um, acting uh, in this way um, you know, would, would make us think, that, wait, Saul's line was just rejected, but here's Jonathan. And boy, he seems to be acting uh, out of faith pretty strongly. Is this the man after God's own heart?
1: does in says it may be that the Lord will work for us slightly
0: different. Yeah, it may be. It's perhaps, and I, I that was I'm so glad Pat you brought that up because uh, it actually leads to my next question. Um, does this maybe or is this perhaps indicate a lack of faith, or does it indicate the character of his faith? Um, so I, I, he understands God. Yeah, it's, um, it's this perhaps um, that, that uh, as, as um, one of my seminary professors I, I found a note um, from seminary about this. He both confesses the power of Yahweh and retains the freedom of Yahweh. Faith does not dictate to God as if the Lord of hosts is its errand boy. So he's not saying, if we do this, boom, you know, we put our spiritual nickel in the Coke machine, God's going to deliver. But it's more of this: we know the character of God. If we act, God is of such a character that He could come and aid us, and He can deliver by many or by few. Um, so it's uh, it is this great confession of. Um, Belief in God, but a belief in God's independence. He doesn't have a direct word saying, "You know, go cross cross. I'm going to give you victory." He doesn't seem to be seeking that kind of direct word, um, but he's putting himself in a position where God can act on his behalf. Mike.
1: Shadrach, a bit ago. and we're going to get more to the furnace. You know, they know that God could save us from this fire, but, you know... Even if not. doesn't, we're not going to bow down to these things. Again, this is a lack of a, 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 a of what God's intentions is. It's And it really is a sign of humility and respect for God. God
0: yeah it's a statement of faith in god's sovereignty that god uh, may act may not act Tim yeah he's put he floats this little um uh, I like that. You know, he rolls out the fleece, <laughs> and he gets the 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 confirmation. Um, and it's really interesting here. The invitation of the of the Philistines in this response, "Come on up," is is the, that invitation from God? That okay? You know, you the battle's going to be yours, um, George.
1: David, because the of David uh uh started who is this uncircumcised defy the Lord? So here we have the thing of the whole uh garrison right? who is uncircumcised. So I think that they should patients that God's glory is in their children because he only has that confidence. God is purpose for them.
0: Yeah, and the language there—the fact that he refers to them as the uncirc- you know, these uncircumcised—and um, very much mirrors David's, you know, when he hears Goliath, who is this uncircumcised person, you know, casting dispersions on on God. Um, it, It's—I I think we're getting an indication why Jonathan and David are going to be such kindred spirits. Um, they are acting in very similar ways with very similar types of motivation.
1: I was thinking of was um, first um, we're not told that he asked to go, but he has farmer so Apparently, he was a soldier, second line. King, his father died. They had armor, and he we said, Well, if I've got armor, and the king's son was supposed to be a protector, we've got uncircumcised that uh I guess this is not supposed to be hold up like of using armor he had. And we probably should think about that ourselves, And you know, and things that God has given us. We don't have to ask a lot of time, we just need to use uh, what we can do.
0: The means at our disposal?
1: Second of all, because we do know the rest of the story, I think it's unusual. We do not only lead like David but we can play a role of like the armor bearer with David and a lot of
0: leaders. Yeah, and that's a real testimony to his character. And to your first point, I really, I think there's a there's a contrast there. Um, between Jonathan taking action here and what his father's doing in these verses. Um, I really don't like the way the ESV translates the beginning of verse two. Um, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gidea in the pomegranate cave at Migron. Um, it's he's sitting. Um, and uh you know, the note here says, or under the pomegranate tree, that would seem to make more sense to me. Um, uh so he's he's literally sort of sitting under a tree. Um, so we have this this contrast between Jonathan taking action and Saul sitting. And notice who he's sitting there with: um, Abijah, the son of Iatub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. This should raise some flags for us. Why should this raise flags for us? Who is this guy? Think back to Eli and his sons. They're the sons of Eli who are a mess, who cause Eli's priestly line to be rejected. So we have the rejected priestly line hanging out with the rejected king. Um, uh. Or the rejected king, you know, you know, we saw in chapter 13, Samuel departing from Saul. Um, so is this Saul? All right, I, I've lost my religious guidance. So I need to find some kind of spiritual guidance from somewhere. Here's an out-of-work priestly line. Um you know, give him a job. Um, and, it, you know, as the chapter we're, we're given, Abijah takes a, a larger role in the second half of the story. And it, it seems that he's serving as a type of um, uh, oracle or spiritual counsel for Saul, should he go into battle or not. Um, he seems to be the one who Saul is turning to saying, is, "Is this should I do this or not? Is this God's will or not? Um, so you have uh, this interesting setup between Jonathan taking action and Saul pursuing all kinds of religious devices, trying to figure out what he should do. Um, so I think there's a really strong contrast that's going to come out um, as we go through this text. Um, and just notice, so you know, we have this uh, this priest. Uh, he's wearing an ephod, which is usually uh, a garment um, worn, especially at times um, religious ceremonies, and uh, um, it's worn when there's a casting of lots. You know, we have the ephod with the uh, Urim and Thummim um, that are, you know, go in pockets on on a particular ephod. Uh, notice that the ark has been brought into the camp. Um, so he's got all kinds of, um, he's got all kinds of religious people and objects around him, Saul does, um, which is really striking. So why do you think Jonathan doesn't tell his father the plan, his plan for action? Why keep it a secret? So maybe it's his father's going to wrong people for advice. Maybe he thinks he already knows the answer. Tim. (laughs) We had no knowledge of his actions. This was not an official act. (laughs) We get a little political distancing. It's strategic. Um, Okay, I like that. I didn't think of that one, Tim.
1: Great, but I mean, what's really lacking, but like, you know, you're in a stressful situation through a prolonged army exposure, and uh, you know, you're not, you're not posting your son, you're not tracking your women, you're not consulting with them, you're not, <coughs> uh, you know, coordinating. with you. I mean, you, you're just, it's like some, it's like just.
0: And, it, and I think that point's emphasized again in the second half of this chapter, which I'll read in just a minute, where you know Saul said you know puts this oath and, and says even if it's Jonathan, he's dead, um, you know if he breaks this oath. So it's it's, it's a way that um, he's not valuing his son's life in in, in particular ways. Um, uh, before I read the second half, just um, there are a couple of, of things that are really uh, um, ironic that are going on here. Uh, notice in verse fifteen, uh, there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Uh, the word "panic" there is also could also be translated "tremble." Um, so you have the exact same situation in the Philistines' camp as we had in chapter 13 among the Israelites. The Israelites were trembling. And now, you know, one chapter later, we have a complete reverse of the situation. Now it's the Philistines who are trembling, um, both internally and it's, it seems that God's created an earthquake here at this moment, so physically as well. So you've got this... Uh, um, Contrast between the trembling Israelites in chapter 13 and now that Jonathan has acted um, out of this faith, it's now caused tremendous trembling among the Philistines. Um, so Saul's watchmen see this. Um, notice how um, he seems to be dragging his feet a little. While Saul, you know, it's, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Um, and I there you uh, uh, see the sense of the priest has been holding Saul um, from action. This idea, alright, you've been, you've been restraining me. Now withdraw your hand so we can act. Um, he sought religious counsel from this priest, and this priest, has, it seems, uh, so far has um, advised uh, staying put. I mean, they're on Gibeah, so um, they've actually, archaeologists have actually, they think what they have found might be. Um, uh, the fortress of Saul, because it's this old Iron Age fortress on top of this hill. And, you know, again, there's this big giant ravine between him and the Philistine army, so they're in a safe place uh, presently. So he's been sitting up in the safe place watching the events. Finally, uh, they jump in, and this great confusion breaks out in the Philistines' uh, um, the Philistine swords are striking one another. You have Hebrews who had joined the Philistine side, suddenly change sides again, join the Israelites. Um, you've got the people who've hidden themselves come out, join the battle. And then in verse twenty-three, we have this great um, uh, pronouncement: "So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Bethaven." So. Wow, great moment. But then there comes verse 24. So let me read the second half. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint." Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint." The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. And they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night, and they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel? Though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan, my son, will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in my, Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in the, your people, Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, "'Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan,' and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, "'Tell me what you have done,' and Jonathan told him, "'I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die.' And Saul said, "'God, do so to me, and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan.'" Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. When Saul had taken kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly instruct the Amalekites and delivered Israel out from the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malchishua... And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Mirab, and the name of the younger Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, the son of Abiel. And there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man... He attached him to himself. So notice the the transition between these two passages. So in verse 23, we have, So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. And then verse 24, And the men of Israel were hard-pressed that day, because Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, So you have this contrast between God saving and the people um, being hard-pressed, being caught. So why are the people on this day of great victory hard-pressed? If the Lord saved them that day, why that day are they hard-pressed? Yeah, because Saul had made this, um, made them take this vow. He laid an oath saying, curse be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I'm avenged on my enemies. So Saul lays this oath upon his army um, that cast a pall over the rest of this day's events. I mean, everything that happens in the rest of this section, uh, all the... Dr- drama over, um, uh, you know, casting a lot, all of it's coming from this oath. This is the, the thing that has, all the events that are transpiring here are all coming down to this oath. So why on earth would Saul make his army fast under the curse of death? Why put the people under this oath? it's um, so until I'm avenged on my enemies so uh, there's some self in this um, uh, making everyone um, part of his revenge ok if you look okay. at the
1: statement made in the past that showed a lack of faith now it's showing more lack of As you pointed out, the rejected Cain as the rejected the in mind. And now he's, it's like he's wrapping his draws. Well, if I make this vow, maybe God will give me what I'm looking for, as opposed to, it's a really strong contrast between uh, Jonathan, beforehand, who recognizes that that the secret things belong to God and that that, that God's will and decree may be different than what you would like to have for yourself, and then following on with David you have this sense of of faith as he confronts Goliath. You have Saul here who does this crazy thing uh, of putting everybody under the penalty of death with uh, a a hunger that will clearly diminish their ability to fight as though as, as though you know, he's taking some action, kind of like what God takes you with know, and saying, you know, We're only going to have three hundred. He's going to have all these men hungry now, pursuing the bills. Mm-hmm. It just shows this total lack of feeling after God's part. It's a sense of grabbing for himself.
0: And notice that this, it's an, I mean, to take a. a uh, you know, a vow like this, to have this, a fast, I mean, we think of fast as religious rituals. And I think that is, you know, you're getting right at, the, he's going through these religious rituals, but we don't see that kind of perhaps that we saw in, in Jonathan, that, well, you know, that retention of God's sovereignty. It's much more, I've got the religious stuff lined up, so God is going to act. On Israel's behalf, you know, I, you know, all of us taking this oath, this fast, we're not going to eat the whole day. That's going to get God to fight for our behalf. That's going to give us victory. Um, so there's that. It could be a religious reason for taking the vow. It's hard to
1: tell what you may be reading stuff in the night, armor bearer, something Jonathan the you don't just think he would even be.
0: Yeah, it, it could. So it could be uh, religious in the sense of trying to again. And as you say, you know, we're trying to figure out, all right? What is this vow? Is it a religious vow? You know, he's trying to get God's favor. Is it a motivational kind of oath? You know, like the the episode with cutting the ox and the people. I got to do some dramatic physical act to make the people fight for me. So um, so it could be religious. It could be motivational. It could also be strategic, you know. You don't waste. You don't want people stopping in the middle of the battle, and it's like, hey, let's have lunch, Um, you know. So it could be strategic in the sense that you know you can keep up the strong pursuit as long as the people, you know, aren't stopping to eat or take care of those physical needs. They can, you know, fight longer. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out just exactly um, what he's up to with this vow. But what we can see very clearly are the sort of uh, deleterious effects of it. You, to power grab, like, you, to power. you need to, do, you know, you need
1: to, it's like a fear-based power grab in that nobody can eat. And if you do, you're going to be sort of struck down, you know, and then they find out, who, you know, the big mystery thing. It's kind of a, I'm going to regain my power again. You know, like, he did
0: that, but I'm really in charge. Jonathan did something dramatic. I'm going to up the ante and do something, um, you know, equally dramatic. Um, and it's really interesting. Um, notice Jonathan's response. Um, uh, so, um, so Jonathan's out in this, you know, this forest with honey dripping everywhere. I just like trying to imagine this. Um, like big, it's like the Big Candy Mountains or something. Um, honey just dripping everywhere, um, you know. And all he has to do is—it's not like he's stopping to eat. He's just dipping his sort of like in the pursuit, dipping his staff in, eating, keep going. Um, his eyes brightened. Um, <laughs> came across this whole thing about um, uh, someone doing a, a medical diagnosis you know he had become hypoglycemic you know and uh, you know when you're, you're, you're uh, hypoglycemic your eyes get darkened so here's a sign you know he's he's his sugar is imbalanced and so eating the uh, eating the honey um, has restored him uh, physically um, I'm not sure of that, but <laughs> I, that was really, I laughed out loud at that one. So I um, thought I'd mention it. Um, but so he, he eats. Then he's told, because he didn't know of the oath. Then he's told, curse be the man who eats food this day. And Jonathan's response, my father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this Honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Um, What does it mean for Saul to have troubled the the land? What is Jonathan saying here? It's unnecessary. Um, This is brought... Difficulty that didn't need to be uh, on these uh, these Israelites. <laughs>
1: You know, God bless uh, the battle that you know, we go into the world. Now, uh, Swell seems to be distancing himself from that. It's like, oh, that was nice, but uh, I'm going to serve my people. He's really going to eat uh, the right thing. He's taking a season of water, you know, in the South
0: yeah he's 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 casting a shadow in a sense he's you know putting himself in this position where it's putting um, uh, a pall over the lord's victory
1: stress they're undernourished, and they're incapable of of fulfilling. Uh, and, well, they're unable to follow through with the great victory that God has started by putting panic in, Philistines, in the Philistines. This crowd of men now were ready to do the work, and then they're put under an that, that makes them physically incapable of of executing on the opportunity for if He sees that, and he sees it, he also sees, because he has the God's idea, it's, it's, it's not a this service God's idea, but, but a humble recognition that the secret thing is people to God, that God has a little of that's behind everything. He sees what his father is doing for what he is, which is destructive to the plan that appears to be unfolding before him.
0: Yeah, and it's it it brings a halt to you know this action, um, you know because at nighttime comes and the people, you know, they pounce on the spoil. I just love this language. They took sheep, auction calves. <laughs> you know, forget the ritual killing. Forget trying to find a stone. Forget trying to drain the blood. I'm hungry. <laughs> you know they're that famished. So and this pursuit comes to a, a halt. Um, you know, again, because of this oath. Now we've got to figure out, because then Saul, you know, tries to go back, you know, through his priest, try to find out, you know, should I keep pursuing, should I not? He gets nothing. So now we've got to solve, all right, who's who's violated the oath. And then at the end, Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So this whole episode has brought this um, the, pers- the battle to an end it's, it seems to have shortened the battle uh, when it could have kept going on Mark.
1: so <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a hard verse to translate. So it can either go um, the way the ESV has it, where it's Saul is responding to the men because we've been again we're we're in chapter 13. This this idea of Israel being hard pressed is presented. Israel is hard pressed. So because they're hard pressed, Saul lays an oath on them. Or it can be translated in the sense that. Um, uh, the action that Saul, the oath itself, has made the people hard-pressed. So, um, you know, uh, it's one of those, how do you, what, what do we think is most contextually appropriate to, to translate that? Um, so those are sort of our two translating options. And notice I've laid my cards on the table by emphasizing <laughs> the other, that um, what Saul has done has made the people hard-pressed that day. But it could be Saul's responding to the fact that people already are hard-pressed because we had that language used in chapter 13. Um, So it's either a continuation sense of hard-pressed or it's that ironic, uh, they were hard-pressed by the Philistines and now they're hard-pressed by by Saul. Um, George.
1: He knows that his solution is by grace. Go he goes ahead with faith. Whereas what they're saying is, Paul no is uh, that, that he's trying to work out his this ritual. Yeah. And the ritual that is going to be like, there in the next stage when he finds that they didn't forbid the ritual, he fixes that problem with another, you know? So prioritizing the ritual has to be done correctly. But his heart is not there. He has to understand that it's all by grace.
0: Priest, ephids, the ark, oaths, fasting, altars, sacrifice, casting of lots, Urim and (laughs) Thuman. That's a lot of religious stuff to cram into one chapter. I think that um, that supports the point you're trying to make, George. That he is he's putting a lot of emphasis on um, religious actions, on works, Um, and that's being contrasted. Uh, with, with Jonathan's acting uh, out of this, this sense of, of, of faith in God. God graciously could do something and does do something for Israel. One is God-centered God and god God-centered
1: God-centered God. He is the man-leader. He is the center of God. Israel itself becomes the goal that he wants to get that
0: yeah. Whereas Saul, we see him emphasizing uh, religious ritual. Um, uh, Jonathan, we see emphasizing that um, the relationship of faith—that um, it's it's not going through the motions of do we tra- check off, you know, doing this sacrifice, doing this, uh, casting the lots, getting this permission to go ahead. Versus, we know who God is. We know that the battle's God's hands. Let's go, and and perhaps God uh, will do something because we know He can. Um, he's willing to criticize them, and then He's willing to He's willing to take the consequences of His father's uh, oath. Um, you know, here I am. I will die. Um, uh, that's pretty, <laughs> and the people save him. Um, uh, the people have to step forward and like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Why? Because of your rash oath, are you going to kill the person uh, who, you know, who worked with God this day? So you have this picture of Jonathan working with God and is going to uh, suffer for it because Saul has made this oath that's called uh, a curse upon. You know, whoever violates the procedure, he's sat down. We'll, we'll go Ronnie and then back. So God
1: of work, really. work So did God really
0: find? Did God find the I mean, are you know for it? But
1: he didn't know.
0: It's like, uh, kind of upon the thing, but that means that to the a good question. <laughs> I, I'm wrestling with the same question. Yeah. I just, like, there when when not
1: and like how many times they
0: yeah, does he know Jonathan's not around? My son doesn't know. <laughs> and there are people who've interpreted it that this is again, you know, some of you mentioned, you know, is there some kind of rivalry between Jonathan and Saul? Um, some people have, have have speculated. And again, you know, at this point, I mean that's that's we're going beyond the text and sort of speculating. But um, there are people who've speculated that this was a setup to for Saul to get rid of Jonathan. Um,
1: uh.
0: And Jonathan, yeah, well, he criticizes the wrong leadership, but he's willing to.
1: Yeah.
0: Which may be why his dad's not too, um, eh, not too hesitant to kill him. <laughs> okay, it was you, uh, so you're gone. Um, all right, well, we've hit the end of our time, so let me close this in prayer. But uh, just to keep thinking about um, uh, Saul, I mean, because the chapter ends with these the high points um, of Saul's kingship, you know, he, that he's given military victory after military victory. uh, He defeats all these people. It gives us family line, um, how he's building a strong army. So it seems sort of, verses 47 through 52 seem a little odd. But I I think that's what the biblical writer wants us to wrestle with, is that um, earthly success and a person's position before God aren't necessarily... uh, Attached to one another. So, um, and that's often the case with kings of Israel. Ahab is, from a world's perspective, Ahab is the most successful Israel king. That would not be, you know, if I had asked you, you know, who's the most successful Israel king, probably would have said David. From a world's perspective, nobody's paying attention to David. From the world's perspective, Egypt, documents in Egypt, documents in, um, uh, Syria, they're paying attention to to Ahab in ways that nobody's paying attention to David. Um, so you can have this position of worldly success, but what our biblical writer wants to emphasize is what's in the heart. So let me close this prayer. Almighty God, we do worship and praise you this day, and we thank you. Uh, For your Son, Jesus Christ, that though we are so prone to try, like Saul, to win your approval um, through doing things that we think will gain uh, us good standing in your midst and make you owe us something, that in reality our, our place before you is solely because of your sovereign grace that you've entered in relationship with us. And we ask that You would uh, work in us the kind of faith that we would be willing to uh, put our necks on the line on behalf of the Gospel. That we uh, would be willing to act in faith knowing that You are a God um, who can win the battle whether by few or by many. Lord God, we ask even now that You would uh, give us the humility to remove attention from ourselves and to put attention on You through our coming worship of the Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.